Welcome to Past Prime, where middle-aged men assess the music of middle-aged men. I'm Maddie Wishnow, and I'm joined today by my equally middle-aged friend, Steve Collins. Steve, the album we're talking about today is Michael Jackson's penultimate album, History, colon, Past, Present, and Future, comma, Book One. Well, you mispronounced that. It's his story. That's right. Past, <laughs> Present, and Future, Book One. Correct. Yes. And it is a double album. Mm-hmm. Let's start with this. Steve, when your daughters ask you who Michael Jackson was, what do you tell them? Well, I would tell him them about my favorite story of Michael, which was that during 9-11, Michael Jackson was the hero who had a private car pick up Marlon Brando and uh, Elizabeth Taylor and take them out of the city. Uh, So I would tell them about that heroic journey. Uh, And he, uh, Corey Feldman, tried to get in that, on that bus. It was a bus and uh, was rejected. And so he lost a friend for life. (laughs) Is, Is true, is this true or is it apocryphal? It is true. You're you're emphatic about this. I oh no, this is fact. This is fact. Look it up. Like New York Post fact or like no, it's this happened. There was this. There was a special emergency bus because they were and it had Brando, Elizabeth Taylor, yeah. and Michael Jackson. Out. Okay, so not greatest pop star of your lifetime. Not not sort of <laughs> stunted child star. Not l- possible likely. Child molester, your savior. That's what you're leading with. <laughs> savior. Well, savior of a very small group of right. uh, people. Yeah. A, c- a couple technicalities I want to get to. Normally, when we cover albums, they're albums made by men over the age of 40. Michael, amazingly, was only 37 <laughs> when this album came out. Although. Oh, this is. We, we, oh, okay. I didn't realize we made a boo boo. Well, certainly think- past prime. Yes. Well, yeah. And in celebrity years, considering he started his career at like four. Right. He's like 100. Yeah. He's like he's like the crypt keeper. And then I just wanted to confirm before we get into this. Is there any way we can just talk about the first disc, the greatest hits? Or can we just do that? No, no, that would be boring. (laughs) (laughs) This album and period for Michael obviously has a real cringe factor for me. You know, it's it's something that I don't want to go near. It's you know, it's that it's the Lisa Marie phase. It's the uh, the 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 New York Post Michael's nose falling off his face phase. <laughs> I'm here um, for you and for the for the work service. Yeah, for yeah, the work for the work. Are you don't you don't seem to share these same the same apprehension? No, I find it very fascinating. Uh I mean, the same. I mean, I find I, I think of it. I maybe this would help you frame it. Think of it not as an album as much as like a psychological thriller. Yeah, I appreciate the and I'm fascinated by the armchair psychology that this album engages you in or engages me in. And the combination of that intellectual interest and these you know, really incredible, incredibly expensive, at least, beats. <laughs> but no, and cry, I mean, that there's a lot of talent here, and you, it's not like he's lost any of that, but there's something at the core here that has uh, gotten very rancid. You know, I recall when we talked about Billy Joel's Stormfront, you, you sort of coined a phrase that I think is relevant here. You referred to these Durstian burps. That, yes, that jo- and and this in, is yeah in, relevant in, yeah in Billy Joel's case you were referring to all these like awful uh, couplets or uh, straining moments where where Billy Joel was uh, burping like Robert Durst did in the Jinx uh, kind of <laughs> trying to suppress his guilt Billy Joel trying to suppress his own his own masking his own mm-hmm. uh, inauthenticity. This this album, it occurs to me, if that is a burp, this is a 80 minute projectile vomiting. <laughs> he's not he's not hiding anything here. He had it in in trying to say I'm not that thing. He's sort of done the reverse. He's he's uh, he's trying like 
They're saying you're a monster. He's saying, no, I care about Mother Earth and writing a big song about Mother Earth and how we're all killing humanity. But he's really like talking about himself, you know, or you did this horrible thing to these children. I'm going to write a song, he says, about a child, uh, you know, a historic, uh, famous (laughs) child murderer. Yes. Uh, little Susie, this girl who was found uh, abused and everything. And, and therefore, you couldn't possibly think I could be, uh, uh, you know, privy to this. Look how much I weep for this murdered child. Yeah. Uh, but it ends up doing the opposite. It's like, well, why don't you just write about something else? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that he that he seems fixated on it. You know, yeah. it's sort of he ends up kind of having the opposite effect, I think, on the audience. Yeah, to belabor the psychological thriller metaphor, this is like the serial killer who shows up at the crime scene to help out the police. That's right. That's what it's like. (laughs) Yeah, he's proving his own. uh, He's proving the prosecution's case here. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. All right. Since since I've already botched the pronunciation of the album title uh, and just for formality, why don't you tell our listeners uh, the facts of this album? It came out in 1995. It charted at one, at number one. It had a few singles. Scream hit number five. You Are Not Alone, the R. Kelly written number, uh, hit number one. They Don't Care About Us hit number 30. Stranger in Moscow, uh, number 91. It was produced by Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Teddy Riley, Jimmy Jam, and Terry Lewis. Janet Jackson, Dallas Austin, Bruce Whedon, uh, Renee Moore, David Foster, Bill Bottrell, R. Kelly. So a bunch wow. of bunch of cooks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of cooks. Two hundred and sixty names credited on this album, including uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Elizabeth Taylor, and uh, and also uh, Biggie uh, Biggie Smalls. Yeah, yeah. This as a production, this makes We Are the World seem quaint. This is yeah. bigger. This is like we are the universe. Yeah, we are the universe. Yeah. 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 So obviously we're focusing on a specific moment, like a fairly sad moment in Michael's career. But if we widen the aperture, when you think about Michael Jackson more broadly, what do you think about? I mean, I think of the those, you know, those the image. I mean, he he spent so much effort like cultivating that image. It's very effective at like those military sparkly outfits the glove the 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 glasses his own distinctive like vocal trademarks all the he he's and Mm -hmm. the thing like he's he made himself iconic and uh uh he made this image of himself that's you know on the cover of the album and it's a kind of self-aggrandizing but also like a shield for something um very messy on the inside yeah it's it was probably very obvious to adults at the time. It was less obvious to me as like a kid and then a teenager. But that string of thriller, bad and dangerous, and then certainly, you know, off into this. Wall. Yeah. Well, I mean, after or, Off the Wall. I think Off oh, the Wall is kind of the When he became album. mega. OK, yeah. But also when he was intent on letting the world know that he that there was a dark side, that there was. That he yeah. had edge. Dark side yeah. is me, yeah, that he had edge. That he was dangerous, that he was bad. Yes. And that he yes. was real he really committed to that for the rest of his career. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, that is right. And that's certain now he's not just dangerous, he's really mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is more like I'm not just bad, I'm I'm mad. I'm very mad. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and hurt. And hurt. And yeah. hurt. It's I'm mad and I'm hurt. That's yeah. right. And I think this is probably obvious to everyone, but just so that I say it, um, when I think of Michael, I do think of that duality. I think of like the greatest pop star I ever saw and and someone who I don't even compare to musicians. Like, I don't I don't know about you. I don't really compare Michael Jackson to the Beatles. Um, I, I compare him somewhat to Elvis, but not really. I don't compare him to Prince like. Prince made everything look so easy, you know, as smooth, uh-huh. as smooth of a dancer as Michael was like you, everything he did seemed Herculean. It just seemed like, oh, my God, like how much work went into that. Mm-hmm. So the one on the one hand, I see him as uh, like a miracle. And then on the other hand, I see him as somebody who we all treated like a freak and an a, a animal in the zoo and then increasingly acted that way. Yeah, that, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I don't feel you seem to take a lot of guilt. I never treated him like a freak. I don't feel that way, but I guess the culture did. I, well, that's okay. So, I like living in New York at the time and picking up the newspapers and seeing, you know, wacko, jacko, wacko on as the headline to the back page. I mean, this era in particular, 95, 96, 97, I couldn't escape this, you know, beginning of yes. like hyper paparazzi, early internet, um, real tawdry. And, you know, I don't know, maybe I do, maybe there, I do carry some guilt with me yeah, that, that I feel like I was party to it. You don't, you, you, your hands are clean. Well, no, maybe my hands weren't clean. Yeah. I suppose I, I, I participated in reading about the elephant man and the, the bones of the elephant man and the, the hyperbolic chamber that he slept in. And mm -hmm. I marveled at that, <laughs> I suppose. Maybe you, I am guilty. And did you, did you ever wonder about his and Lisa Marie's love life? Well, yes, by the time when I, 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 I was not, I think both of us were not, I came to these albums. I mean, I, the, the Michael Jackson was not on my mind in 1995, which I know he wasn't on your mind. And so I came to these much later and found this album and particularly like, I think track for track, it's better than bad. It's more consistent. It's every song has like there are tons of songs on bad I don't like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Speed Demon or like like they're and I don't like the sound of it. Like I think it sounds kind of dated. This is to me a, a really well crafted album that has a lot of bloat and indulgence on it. But I don't know. There's you can tell that these songs have been labored over. And I know that's not necessarily a compliment, but there's, I find this album, I'll just say it, I've, track for track, I think it's better than that. Wow. Well, this, this is a hot take. This was not the thesis of the essay that you wrote. So no. the, this podcast is inspired by an essay that you wrote a, a few years ago at this point. What was yeah. your thesis of, the, of that essay? Well, it's essentially just that this is the point where his music gets taken over by his life and his and really the response and the uh, uh, his his view of himself as a victim, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it it gets to the point where it starts to sink the ship. Uh, and now the 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 songs themselves are really only relatable to someone who's been in his situation and no one has been in his situation. Like no one has been the most famous person in the world who's been hounded constantly with these legal accusations. And so it, it becomes, despite the music still having the same kind of talent behind it, the audience just shrinks <laughs> about who can really relate to it. And that the lyrics themselves start you know, he's got legal turn, you know, they're like what rhymes with slander? Like he, he's got, you know, he's he's now stuck inside himself making music for himself, but at the same time trying to make the whole world. He's got a really difficult problem uh, at this point. And at the core, there's something really rotten going on inside. And you the the music really starts to feel like mental illness uh and no longer really it's lost all the looseness that we were attracted to and what i would say is off the wall and his fame bad is the peak of his fame but off the wall and thriller were the only ones that had any kind of looseness to them mm -hmm. or flow or feel to them you know and he's by the time of bad and and dangerous that those are all very tight kind of pinched albums yeah uh but there are still remnants of like some nice ballads and stuff here now he can't even do that and everything is about himself yeah i think we've buried or i've buried the headline here which is oh yes th this album is being made while he's being investigated by the Santa Barbara California district attorney for child abuse or yes. child molestation. That's mm -hmm. that's kind of the source of all of the ugliness. And this is in addition to those New York Post headlines, 
like Michael was deposed. There was, I mean, there was, I don't know if this is allegedly or not there. I think that he, um, there's like video of him n nude because they were looking for uh, identifying uh, markers that his accusers had suggested. Mm -hmm. Like this is a really, really yeah. tawdry, terrible moment in his life and obviously in the lives of, th of everyone affected by it. Yeah, it's a bad period for him. <laughs> and he's clearly decided, I'm going to get this out of my system here. Yes. And, and, and so the music is, it, it, it's, it's all, it's so, there isn't a single track that doesn't relate to that in some way. Even if he's trying to mask it in a kind of cry for peace, he's always linking himself up these uh, figures in history that face diverse adversity. So it all ends up circling back to him, even if he's trying to talk about saving the earth or, or whatever. And then the other things points to note is you were right in that his, his popularity functionally peaked after bad, you know, dangerous. I mean, all of his albums are still wildly successful, but no, nothing ascended to thriller and then bad like proportions. So there was actually some anxiety about the release of this album. It was a double album and it was kind of confusing. I mean, I don't remember paying a lot of attention to the album's release, except to say that I knew it was coming and I was confused as to whether it was like a greatest hits plus a couple new songs or what exactly it was. And it, it probably went through multiple incarnations, but it ended up being a double album. Disc one is greatest hits and disc two is 15 songs, 80 minutes of new material, right? Yeah, and it was confusing. And the title is confusing. It's got a colon, but it's got like two colons in it, I think. You know, <laughs> history, colon, past, present, future. Is there another colon? Yeah, I don't no, know. But comma, then it's like book, part, comma, book one. one. Yeah, or part book one. one. Yeah, book yeah. one. So it's yeah. like, wait, what is this? Yeah, it's confusing. And it belies, I think, some insecurity about, you know, it was very important to him and his ego uh, to top himself. Well, if you want to say it's his competitive nature or his narcissism, I don't know. But uh, to top, to keep topping himself and coming, you know, debuting number one was important. Uh, at this point, his sister is uh, more popular. She's really at the peak of her career. So he's bringing her in for Scream. And he's uh, he's sort of he's bringing in a lot of collaborators like like uh, Biggie to kind of give him legitimacy and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely borrowing from the brand and goodwill of others who are maybe have. It's funny suggesting this about about Biggie or mm -hmm. R, Ke R. Kelly, but people yeah. whose uh, whose hands were cleaner than him at the time. Which yes. Is wild. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, before we get into the music, why don't we talk a little about the album cover? Why don't, why don't you tell us yeah. what the cover looks like? It's a big statue of Michael, like a big gray stone statue of Michael. And it's against a, uh, like a sunset, like, uh, you know, in the clouds, not the, you know, the pink sunset in the clouds. And so it, it really is representative of the, of the album, which has a kind the the image is a kind of fascist image of Michael in his military garb uh, as the king of pop. And um, in it, you know, and that's what the album is. It's this weird, like very aggressive, angry dance music. <laughs> and then the schmaltziest of schmaltz in that sunset, like the just like so syrupy. Yeah. So, so like begging for you to love him. Just like intolerable. Yeah. It's <laughs> to be maybe even less specific and maybe more cartoonish it, to me, it's uh, Michael dressed up as George Washington, but frozen in ember like Han Solo in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that an empire strikes back? I should know this empire. Yeah. That's an empire. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. And yes, it has the, the, the music with that, like Wagnerian mm -hmm. over the top fascism against kind of the goopy pink hues of sunset is, is all there. So this 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 cover image is based on an actual statue that was made and 30 replicas were made of that statue. So my question to you, Steve, obviously, is if someone parenthetically me got my hands on one <laughs> of these statues and gifted it to you, what would you do with it? Uh, <laughs> where, would, where would you put it? So it's 30 feet. 
I don't know how big the statue is. There were 30 replicas made. 30 replicas. Yeah. Well, I got to think it's bigger than life size. Uh, so that means I'll, I have to put it outside, I guess, just front lawn. Okay, but you're doing, okay, so lawn, lawn ornament. You're, you're, you're going for it. Now, maybe back, that is a big thing to put it in the front lawn. Maybe, uh, maybe yeah, garden, next to the garden gnomes. Like bird, bird fountain it, maybe. Yeah, bird fountain, maybe, yeah. But you're not donating it. You're keeping it. I think that seems it seems like a lot. That seems like a rare opportunity to own something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a good, a good icebreaker, too. All right, we've gotten into sort of what the album sounds like in, in sort of general terms. Why don't you... It's a, it's a long album. It's almost an hour and a half. But you, yeah. are, you are right that it, it really has two primary modes. There's you know, like a new Jack swing mode. There's like that hard electro funk with these really expensive beats. Yeah. And then there's like the David Foster R. Kelly side, which is over the top, bombastic, goopy balladry, um, like, but all very expensive sounding. I mean, I think one of the things that I appreciated hearing it, you know, 20 years after its release I think in my mind, I assume that this was like expensive, but sloppy and it is bloated, but um, it's not exactly sloppy. I mean, it's it sounds quite even the five and six minute songs, even the ones that don't work. Yeah, you can. There is something it, it's very high end. It's very luxurious. Right. Yes. And I do. I that's I, I think you're trying to describe what I was trying to talk about earlier. There is something just. um kind of immaculately made about this thing uh, that is th impressive. And I actually don't feel that way about bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and there's something that maybe it's that it's, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's been many years since, so it doesn't sound quite as dated to me, even though, I don't know, it still seems there's something pretty intense about this kind of anger pop it, it makes uh, that, it still sounds kind of fresh to me uh, in a way that I feel bad sounds very dated, mm -hmm. a lot of it. But I just think it's so singular. It's like nothing that has ever been created. I mean, when I, you try to think of comparisons, I just can't think of the, you know, the bombast and stuff you see in some of the meatloaf, but you don't see the dysfunction at the center isn't the same, you know? You've seen the R. Kelly, like you've seen weirdness, like uh, trapped in the closet, but there's like humor there too, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not someone who's really in a free fall or in, this is really music of someone who's in the middle of a nervous breakdown, you know, kind of doing therapy music. And I, there can't have ever been that. I don't think there's been the comp, there may be some examples someone can come up with, but the combo of, the level of talent here, plus the level of dysfunction, plus the access to wealth. Was it inevitable that that Michael Jackson and R. Kelly it, were going to be friends? It has like a real whiff of Donald Trump and uh, and Epstein. Like, yeah, they kind of had they like at that point when you're that um, yeah. <laughs> isolated and yeah, you up. find the other you find the other one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I think I, I agree. I think so. And I'm sh I don't know enough about R. Kelly's background, but I do think that, you know, the personality type that's driven that in this direction, probably, you know, one out of whatever, 50 of them have some of the same kind of dysfunctions, like sexual dysfunctions, deviance. But yeah, yeah I think they found each other and uh, I think they sniffed each other out. But the, the, what's so strange about this album to me is like the actual just like whiplash you get from going from these really intense anger pop numbers mm -hmm. to the schmaltz. It really like whips your head back. Yeah. Oh, without question. And he always had this even, you know, uh, to some extent. Well, I should say always, but like in the. Because off the wall is more even in that there's a lot of swing to the disco-y stuff. And it doesn't, when it goes to ballads, it's not, 
as much of a change. But thrillers certainly had the like lady in my life and the beat it. But it wasn't quite the contrast still wasn't this intense. And I think the difference is also that the the ballads here are about self. Mm -hmm. They're not about the lady in my life. You know, even the R. Kelly number, You Are Not Alone, is it's like I I just read it as you are not alone, you have me. Well, also, <laughs> you know, also you are not alone, but I am. Yes, but I am. You know, it still points towards self. There's no like the way you make me feel right uh, on here. Right, and so it's it really is like he's become sort of the drunk uncle who cries when he gets drunk. You know, the angry uncle who cries when he gets drunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you have angry uncle, and then you have him crying drunk. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about with, because I was like, well, what? Because as I was trying to describe the effect of this album, I was like, well, like metal had all those power balance, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the big era, the power, power balance. But, you know, when you have things like, like that was like a whiplash too. But they weren't. I mean, like every rose has its thorns. I don't like it's not the same kind of whiplash. You still have like the gravelly sort of cigarette, mm -hmm. cigarette worn voice like it, it. These are the whiplash is really intense because no one can do sort of syrupy like Michael can do syrupy. And he he has developed a very effective rage pop, you know, yeah. By yeah. buying the beats, but mm -hmm. he does have the rage in there. And so it it, it doesn't feel as, um, it's very different than Beat It, which is, you know, like, Beat It. <laughs> there's like anger in there, but it's like, that's like, you don't believe for a second there's any real anger in that. Yeah, It's all like, it's West Side Story, like the video. It's like a play, it's like make-believe. And this is real anger. Yeah, I think you said it before. I think, you know, even as a kid, you could imagine yourself kind of in a dance off with fake switchblades, maybe with like those cones, yes. those switchblade cones, yes. like kind of battling your friends. It's hard to imagine yourself sort of locked up at Neverland writing a nasty letter to the DA of Santa Barbara. Yes. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's likely less relatable. Yeah, it's hard to relate to. And I do, I do want to affirm your point that I think that the 10 or 12 best songs on here are, are, I think are definitely better than, than dangerous. I don't even think it's close, but also your point that, you know, even bad had a whole bunch of filler. Like there was, you know, yeah. bad was like half monster hits and half filler. And this doesn't, this has songs that are big swings and misses, but it's not nothing that I would really call filler, maybe like two tracks. One or two out of 15. The other thing I wanted to say was that hearing it now, my other takeaway was if this album was released tomorrow as a Justin Timberlake album and he just <laughs> JT just changed the words, people like people would lose their shit. It would be like the most successful album ever. This is I know that it's impossible to separate the music from the man on this particular album. But if you just listen to it and imagine it's JT singing about jessica beale you know mm -hmm. or or about his enemies ryan gosling i don't know i'm making something up here yeah yeah P like this album would be hugely hugely lauded like people would just i think critically people would love it as well i mean i i would agree with that i think you know but i do you have to change the singer and the lyrics because it's the illness underneath <laughs> yeah. that is the problem you know and the focus of the songs as being either, you know, as being pulling you into understanding him as a victim and a martyr for these great causes that have plagued humanity uh, since its beginning and him putting it on that vast canvas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you yes. know, okay. he's basically like Martin Luther King, Michael Jackson, Gandhi, Gandhi, me. <laughs> yeah. yeah we already have our foot in the water let's just dive into our favorite songs on the album i i'll go first and i this might be a, a point of contention i don't like scream i i think at its best 
it's incredible. Like, I think when he and Janet are singing, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like anything else about it. I don't, I, I, I don't particularly like the beats. I don't like the noise. I don't like the he's and haws and screaming. Um, I don't like the futuristic high live video. <laughs> but God, when he's singing, it's just a reminder of what a great singer he is. I'm sort of cheating by putting this in the best, but this is a song that I one third love and two thirds just certainly don't have a lot of patience for. I mean, I agree with that. It has some very expensive noises in it. It's an exhausting song. It's very dense. You know, there's no space in it. You know, it's what the album is. It's very overwhelming. I'm very impressed by it, uh, but it's also exhausting and shrill. Yeah. And I do agree that chorus section where they're singing together is 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 delightful. I mean, it's like a thesis statement for the album. It's him putting his his own his pairing his own persecution against the history of injustice in the world. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And um, it was it was the first single, right? It was the first yes. single from the record. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. OK. Of the hard funk of the angry funk, um, my favorite is probably this time around, which features Biggie. I, I, I like everything about this song. I think it's like high end new jack swing. I think it's great. I also although I do laugh when Michael says shit in the song anytime he curses i do yeah. feel a little bit like ooh, mikey's gonna get it like he's gonna get in trouble yeah do you, yeah. do, you do you relate to that no i i do i do and he's he's really he's doing some bad boy stuff i think he drops an f-bomb somewhere too yeah he does. like yeah i feel that way too i like this i like that track too that's the thing i don't i mean some of these tracks i didn't i kept flipping around i'm like oh this is the worst no it's the best it's a, <laughs> I think they're all pretty solid, actually. I mean, I have some that I can't stand listening to. It's more that I have uh, up-tempo ones, <clears throat> I think, are all uh, really solid. It's the ballads that really get me. It's funny. I, okay, so I like most of the up-tempo ones. I do, uh, well, you know, we'll get to the stuff we don't like in a minute. I, I do want to say that I found myself very enamored of a couple of the ballads, although not not you are not alone. I, that one doesn't do much for me. But um, I really liked Stranger in Moscow because Michael's, yes, I like because because Michael's singing and yeah, it was easy to forget how incredible of a singer he yeah. could be. And that brings out an element of his voice that I really like. And maybe it's a little more mid tempo or something. But when it's not doing a like, he has that version where he really. He's he's really trying to pull out your empathy. And that's what I find so kind of grating. But here he's much more in his like human nature mode, which is one of my favorites of his. Yeah. Where there's he's just got such a beautiful flow to his voice. I like Stranger in Moscow is definitely one of my favorites. It is, though, fits. (laughs) It fits. It's him. It's I'm alone in Moscow. You can't imagine how I feel. You know, I mean, it's it's but it is beautiful. I think this one transcends that. And and probably of all the songs on the album is the closest to that, like early 80s mm-hmm. patina. That's sort of yeah. like uh, that Ben, you know, that uh, that that some of the stuff off even Thriller, you know, it, it, yeah. the it, it, it sounds contemporary, but it almost timeless, like it could have been made at any point in his career. Yeah. And. The song that I have to say I really didn't have fond recollections of and I did not want to like is Earth Song. I, I, I don't I'm not a David Foster guy. I, this is like schmaltzy to the max. But God, it you know, when in the second half of this song, when he starts asking, what about this? What about that? I mean, it's just incredible. Like, it's just an incredible vocal performance. Yeah. And, and the song really builds up in, in a way that like David Foster is uniquely gifted at. and. This is a, just another song where I was really digging in and, and resistant to it. And it just like kind of like just bowled me over. Was it when he said, what about elephants? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was Earth Song was like one of those that I had on my worst. But I mean, I totally agree with you. Maybe it's the best. I don't. Uh, that's why I find this how I uh, this album. Because it's so kind of perfectly done, it's sort of hard to 
put some things on the worst. <laughs> like, but I, I agree this film has, I don't like the first part of the song. It's too schmaltzy for me, yep. but it has a tremendous amount of power by the end. And when you put, it's a really pretty good video, like him sort of hanging on to the trees and this sort of apocalyptic storm that's coming in and he's just fighting for the whales and the elephants. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it was quite uh, impressive live. Yeah. It's quite a piece. It has a kind of build, yeah, like the, uh, I don't know, like living on a, or not living on a prayer, but a li- uh, like a prayer. Uh, or it has that kind of very epic, huge build to it. It's, yeah. it's kind of undeniable. Well, yeah, I think it, it has a little bit of that like a prayer, but also a little bit of like November rain, like at yeah. the, like the end, yeah. the coda. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I suspect you had more on your love list. I, I have yep. a few more. I mean, I really like They Don't Care About Us. Mm-hmm. I just think that beat is very infectious. I do think this is one of the funniest lyrics, though. It, it goes, skinhead, deadhead, everyone gone bad, trepidation, speculation, everybody, allegation, in the suite, on the news, everybody, dog food. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that dog food. One yeah, is that, confusing that, to me. That, that's a Durstian burp for you? Yeah, that's a burp. I'm like, What's he what is he saying? What does he mean? Everyone is dog food? We're all food to the dogs? Doggy I don't know dog, what he's doggy dog. I don't know what he's saying. Did anyway. You know, this this was the song, you know, that got him in hot water with, with oh, my people. Oh, yes. Yes. So, the K word. Uh, I say this very um, respectfully as a, as a Jewish man. But yeah, he's had the... Uh, kick me, kike me, and the Jew me, sue me in this, and then promptly issued a press release saying that he was aghast that anyone would misinterpret that, that anyone would think that is offensive because he is so clearly, like, he's like a metahuman. He's above hate. Yes, and that he's he is on the side of all victims. Yes. He's the uber victim. Yeah. And so how it's like... It's insulting. It's another <laughs> attack. <laughs> this is really gets to the I'm not crying. You're crying. I didn't fart. You yes, fart of the album. Yes, yes, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. <laughs> what else did you like? My other I just I didn't know if to put it on best or worst. <laughs> I put it on best. But mm-hmm. DS, mm-hmm. I just think it's the strangest song. And I I don't I. I just can't pick it's it is about Santa Barbara County District Attorney Tom Snedden. Mm-hmm. It DS is short for Dom Sheldon, which when sung sounds like Tom Snedden. Yeah. Yeah. And is abbreviated to DS because I think somewhere back in his head he knows this is just a terrible idea or something. <laughs> and they to call a song Dom Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of you know but i wish it was just called dom sheldon it's just a bizarre song and it uh but is immaculately put together has like a guitar real kind of kind of powerful catchy guitar riff uh that loops mm-hmm. it, it but this is sort of one of the case and points for the just your inability to connect with this album. It is about, he's writing a song about a legal, you know, it's like a legal brief. It's, it's it's just like he, he's the, the material of his life has become untranslatable to an audience basically. And yet what's so fascinating to me is he almost pulls it off (laughs) because it's kind of catchy. And uh, but the idea of being on a dance floor and dancing to this (laughs) is but then you think about in like Billie Jean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is about someone saying you had my baby and it's it's a paternity suit. So I I mean, you sort of see how he's like, no, this will work. I've done this before. But this one, I I'm not so sure works. And yet it's very catchy. It ends with a gunshot, by the way. Yes. Very very frightening. I think that's all I had on my. I mean, I kind of like. I, I. I mean, I like other songs, but those mm-hmm. are the highlights. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would largely agree. And to your point, there are even at its best. There's like real overdetermined melodrama that can get close, like definitely schmaltzy, but even close to like dreck. Like I don't know how much more of this I can tolerate. Yeah. 
And some of it is just because it's so oppressive. Like that second half of Earth Song, I don't know how much more of it I could take. Like it's, yeah. it, it is really, really working at heartstrings. Like it is, I, I think Wagnerian is like the right word. Like it's, yeah. pro- it's probably doing something like physiologically to, to me yes. that I don't understand. Yeah. I know some of it, I was like, some of this music, I was like, they should test astronauts with to see if they can handle the G's, (laughs) the G's that this music puts you through. You know, it's very intense. Yeah. To to turn to the sour side, the Drek gets real Drekky, although it's not none of it's that far off from the good stuff. I I'll have to confess that like the final third, the, the final five songs, I just don't have much time for in part because the first 10 or 11 are just so fucking exhausting so by the time you get to too bad which is like it is you know that electro funk but it's i think it's less dynamic and instead of biggie we get shaquille o'neal um (laughs) it's i I, like it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much i just don't think it's particularly good and then history lil Susie, and smile by that point i'm pretty much out like history is just like seven huge it's this is his. We didn't start the fire. History is a train wreck. Yeah, it's a train wreck. I mean, I, that sound song is a kind of like little micro uh, cosm of the album. Like it's uh, it lurches. It has like eight sections to it. Uh, it has, starts with a kind of coronation uh, type uh, music. Uh, it's got samples, a lot of spoken samples throughout history. Uh, you know, Neil Armstrong landing, MLK. It even, I think, name checks. Is that the one that name checks Roosevelt? <laughs> that might be a different one. Right. But like Roosevelt, if Roosevelt were alive, this wouldn't happen. Uh, I don't know if he's talking about Roosevelt from the Peanuts or... Uh, <laughs> right, or, or FDR or Teddy. Or, or Teddy, or, I don't or, know which or Roosevelt. Eleanor. Or, or Eleanor. Eleanor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's Lindbergh, like he's just name checking all these uh, people. Uh, And then again, this one has this super syrupy, you know, we are the world chorus, but then alternating that with a verse that is like real hard and probably the least catchy of the verses, just like hard and angular, just like, and then like syrupy. This one is a real. It's a real ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it ends up ending with this like endless like uh, samples from just like dates and news reporting. And it just goes on forever. <laughs> yeah. It's got like three minutes, three minutes yeah. of MLK news headlines. And yeah, yeah. it's really uh, this is a real this is really something this one. And then. And then he goes right from there into Lil Susie, which opens up with like a three minute hymnal. Yes. Right. And then the story of a uh, was it of a, little Susie of little Susie. Yeah. Who was neglected, I think, and died of neglect. Yes. Little Susie is some of that is actually frightening. I mean, the idea that this would be good for his defense. He has like uh, here's a guy on trial for. Uh, child abuse and he has a creepy little music box <laughs> playing <laughs> like ding ding yeah. ding and then he has a little child's voice going la 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 <laughs> it's like <laughs> this could have been like exhibit a in the trial this thing is terrifying it's like really out of a horror film like uh, like an argento like like la 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 La, la, la. <laughs> it's very very frightening that song uh and then he you know he's gonna uh show you how much he cries for uh for little Susie. uh really gross and th- yeah and then closes with the charlie chaplin by way of nat king cole cover just in case in just in case like we're too gutted or broken it's almost mm-hmm. you know he 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 the last song is called smile um, and mm-hmm. it is the sappiest of sappy songs. I mean, I, I, Nat King Cole's version is quite beautiful, but this is just so over the top and you're so exhausted by this point. Like it, this song is really smile. So you don't cry. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And it's again, very, and if I, you really feel if you're following the narrative of the album, when it shows up, it is really supposed to be like the final statement, 
which is I've been through all of this. They threw rocks at me. They <laughs> stripped me naked and made me show my penis. Like they did all this to me and I'm still your entertainer and I am, I'm here to make you smile. You know, there, it has that kind of, and still I'm, you know, this is what I'm about, you know, and it's so ineffective, you know, and uh, you really, all you hear is the, like the desperation and the, you don't, it doesn't feel victorious at all. It feels like, um, I'm crying. I'm It feels like watching a man sobbing in a corner. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh it's a really I find this maybe is my least favorite of it's almost intolerable to listen to this. Yeah. And uh there's something at the end I noticed on close listen. The last in the last moment of the song there's a kind of like <sighs> like gaspy thing (laughs) that you really i think is supposed to be him chuckling maybe or like but you don't that you don't you it feels like crying too and i i think a lot of the things that not that there's a lot in here that's supposed to be light but that's the thing it anything it all seems like like dysfunction and tears so well yeah so brittle and so um performative like in the same way um that on the mtv movie or music awards when he and lisa marie had to kiss it was like oh wow he really like this is a person who um has never maybe never kissed a woman like this person who yeah. has like probably trying to act out what he thinks it looks like to kiss a woman yes yes this must be it <laughs> and uh, you know something i was thinking about is that film uh, the act of killing do you remember that documentary about no. the in oh you should see it uh it's about these this these people who committed this uh, genocide in indonesia like you know millions of people they killed or, or a million mm. uh and uh, um and they're still living in the community and uh they're kind of untouchable and uh everyone's afraid of them and they make these movies about themselves that sort of lionize their and recreate the slaughter that they did you should see this movie it's fascinating oh god this is kind of what he's doing in like history (laughs) like in things like you know little Susie or uh or that song history he sort of thinks he's like making himself heroic, but it's doing the opposite where we look at it and we go, what is going on here? Right. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what happens. And you're watching these movies that they hire people to make of them. And they think it makes them look all grand, <laughs> but we're like terrified by what we're seeing. And that's, that's what this album is, I think. The other two songs that I put on my l- worst were I, a childhood, aka the theme from Free Willy too. Yeah, this song yeah. just makes me barf. Yeah, this is Michael. Ta- I don't know how this. I have not seen Free Willy. I'm embarrassed to say, I have not seen Free Willy too. I forgive I you. I can't imagine how this fit into the narrative of Free Willy too. It is about Michael, and it is about him missing his childhood. Something we've heard you know, many times from him that he didn't have a childhood because uh, he was always performing. He, uh, his voice breaks in this as he starts to cry. It's, it is insufferable. <laughs> have, did you, did you hear about any of the, um, the testimony, I don't know if it was technically testimony, the story that came out in, as a result of, might even been in whatever the Neverland documentary was, about Marlon Brando confronting Michael about children. And anyway, um, he basically confronts Michael. He's like, Michael, you know, yeah. Like, what do you do about sex? <laughs> and Michael like tries to laugh it off. And Brando's like, no, no, really? Like, what do you, like, what do you do? And, um, and Michael starts crying and, and, and I don't know, I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, he starts crying and he basically says, you know, I had no childhood. My, my father was so terrible to me. Yeah. According to, according to Marlon Brando, there's literally no distance between the abuse he suffered and how yes. he thinks about adult 
um, romantic sexual relationships. Yeah, right. It's he horrific. It's so horrific. It, yeah. Right. He literally cannot look at it. Right. No, and he goes straight to the victims thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, and that's this album, you know. Yes. I mean, you are not alone. Also, I have on my. I can't stand that song. I don't, don't like know it. why. It was a number one hit. Huge. It's just grating. I can't. <laughs> I yeah. can't. I don't know what it, it. It is to me. It makes sense to me that R. Kelly wrote. I don't know that much about R. Kelly. I mean, was, I I definitely enjoyed the trapped with the in a closet. Yep. the camp of that, but that is really music for a martyr. That's like a, a Mother Teresa kind of, you are not alone, I, I am God. And I, that's the way I read that. And not really a love song, but a kind of, uh, I am God, I, you, you have me. Right. And then uh, maybe it's anticlimactic, but the I, I'm completely puzzled by the Beatles cover on mm -hmm. here. Me too. Uh, I don't, it just seems very out of place. It's maybe the only one. I mean, the only thing I thought of is that, is this just him again, attaching himself to something larger than life, like the Beatles uh, or MLK or anything. And the fact that he owns the catalog. Well, so that, so, you know, uh, so I should yeah. say on the one hand, like it's a very loyal cover. It's not, he doesn't he's no. not do, He's not doing no. anything with it, and it's a totally fine cover. But yeah, I think like the Craven read is he owns the publishing. I don't actually know if he owns the publishing to this song. I assume he does, and that uh, therefore he makes money every single time the album's purchased and the song is played. So it's it's very yeah. It's uh it's like he's double dipping, <laughs> you know. I this. that's the only one I wonder if was full. Yeah, is filler and uh, uh just seems unnecessary. He doesn't do much with the song, and uh, um, and it doesn't have. I mean, the only it sort of fits in with the same kind of "You Are Not Alone" come together right now over me, right? right. <laughs> you know, right. That's the only thing it kind of fits in with. But I, I don't. I find that mystifying that that was on there. Yeah, but that is my list of. Yeah. The worst. I do think that that final sequence of history, little Susie, and smile is one of the ickiest song cycles yeah. <laughs> that you will ever go through. Oh, God, it 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 really does feel like like a gilded pre-suicide note. You know what I yes. mean? Like it's it is. Uh, it feels like the end of a music, a very yes. glitzy kind of musical about his life. Um, that, well, and, like the end of yeah. a tragic musical. I mean, this yes. thing, this thing ends in suicide. You know. Yes, he thinks. My, yeah, it's like yes. I don't. Maybe he knew he was. It was a cry for help. Uh, you know. I, I'm sure. So yeah, 15 songs, 80 minutes. You're exhausted. You know, we're both exhausted. Michael's um, exhausted and embattled. Where where does he go from here? Well, he does. Uh, he beats the rap. Uh, you know, he. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like a, a heroic rock. It's like a rock yeah. story to you. Yeah, he beats the rap. He's just a, no. Uh, he he's uh, he basically make. I mean, his next album is Invincible, right? And it's his last album, and it's the same formula. It's I think a little less. I mean, I I I think it's commonly thought a little less successful. Uh, it goes on even longer. Uh, but it's that same formula of like, like crazy sick beats and overwhelming. And it's not quite as angry as this one. This one is like right in the middle of trial, you know, like, it, but it is still like almost like maniacally or there's something kind of obsessively. I'm going to get your attention. Uh, with these uh, rhythms, uh, and uh, it has a similar lack of looseness in it. Uh, and then it alternates that with, yeah, very syrupy, syrupy stuff. Uh, and it's even longer. And Invincible, in retrospect, has a real whiff of, like, Donald Trump saying he could shoot a person in Times Square and get away with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not, <laughs> like, it's not, um, it's fairly incriminating. Yeah, yeah. In well, I mean, you, well, I thought we would bring up Trump. I mean, that Trump, I would think Trump has history on repeat. 
right now because I think he's probably the only mm-hmm. person I can think of in our time who can uh, maybe relate to. Yeah, you know, has the same. I think. I mean, I don't. I don't know if it's narcissism uh, that Jackson has, but I think he's one of the only people who can really relate to this music. This totally self-centered uh, victim mm-hmm. pop. <laughs> yeah, victim pop. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, sadly, what happened after Invincible? Uh, he passed away he of uh, of his fentanyl uh, overdose. Uh, he had the medical <laughs> medical what he called his milk every night administered by his doctor, uh, who should not have been doing that and was uh, put in jail, I believe. And now he's on the other side, and we are still listening. I think it's pretty obvious, uh, but we like to plot every album we talk about on a spectrum from prime to past prime. Prime being when a middle-aged artist has some breakthrough or revelation. Past prime being when the artist uh, has sort of regressed into a uh, sad or low-T version of their former (laughs) self. Where are you plotting this? I, well, I do put a past prime, but it, it, I think it's in a unique case where he has all the like technical skills, you know, and he's really made a very impressive product here with just a, a kind of festering wound that has poisoned everything mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, coming from the inside. So it does seem different than a lot of the past prime stuff uh, that we've that we've shown there is something I think very singular about this album. And I don't, I can't imagine it'll ever happen again. Uh, I mean, well, you know, that these comp, the combination. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's normally when we call something past prime, like some creative faculty has been lost, you know, where they, they just don't have it anymore. This is a case where like Michael Jackson probably still had enough of it but then the other it that he'd been suppressing got in the way of the it yeah. that we liked. Yeah. You know, if and it's sense. just the the largeness of the canvas that he's working with is uh, almost part of his whatever his disorder is, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also the impressiveness of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think inarguably it is past prime. I, I described it as more like past prime pre-suicide note. It's. Uh, yeah. There's real, there isn't anything else like this, which begs the question, Steve, will you ever listen to this album again? I will. Beginning to end. Ugh. Beginning to end? Yeah, the album. <laughs> the album. Yeah. Maybe, but not for a while. Yeah. yeah. Not for a while. It's, I've had enough for today. But um, I have gone back. I mean, I just know because I've, I know, my, you know, I dipped into these you know, maybe 10 years ago, and then I re-dipped. So I got to think dipped. in another, yeah, I got to I gotta think in another 10, I might be, because you can't quite, there is something like Joel. I don't, I think I'll continue to dip. I think I'll probably have to dip back into Stormfront oh in God. another 10 years. Because there's something like, wait, no, maybe we didn't get it. There's something you can't quite get at. Mm-hmm. Because it's like a very, he almost hit it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know it is the most unrelatable album ever. So I struggled to answer this question. But is there anything you took away from this for your own middle age? Yeah, just don't ignore signs of illness. Yeah. It's sort of, you know what this is like? It's like the, uh, you know, you hear or see a picture of somebody who's like, this guy came into the hospital and he has like a like a cyst the size of like, you know, 20 watermelons like on his yeah. face. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This album. It's like a cyst the size of 20 watermelons, and he's ignoring it and saying, no, it's a pop album. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. No, it's a tiny pimple. It's fine. Yeah. No, it's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. Smile. Yeah. <laughs> Smile. I yeah. I don't. That's a good one. Um, don't take fentanyl. Yeah. And do the opposite of whatever happened. And uh, maybe here's maybe think small. Maybe yeah. that's maybe my takeaway. Think a little yeah. smaller. Yeah, think a little smaller, maybe. 
Um, yeah, very difficult. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I'm proposing for our next podcast. I'm thinking we, we talked about this offline. I'm thinking we should do something contemporary, something kind of indie. I think that we do have a there is some common ground in our Venn diagram of musical taste. What about the Nationals Sleep Well Beast? Are you game for that? I am game for that. I bought tickets to their show. And yeah, that'll be good prep for that. There was a a long form piece in uh, uh, the New Yorker about the sad dads of the national, and I think that um, <laughs> I think you and I uh, could probably we will probably have astute commentary and insight into uh, sad dadism, right? Yeah, I think maybe we sure, can, sure. We can make some hay out of that. I think. Yeah, I think we can do something with that. Good. Okay. Well, until next time, Steve. Thank you for a great podcast. Thank you for spending this time with uh, MJ. Um, and <laughs> thank you, listeners. If you want to read the essays that inspired this podcast, please visit us at pastpri.me. That's P-A-S-T-P-R-I.me. You can listen to you can listen to other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.